So I realized I kept being told, well, I've known these people for 20 years, but we never talk about our issues with people. They don't sit down over lunch and go, I'm very controlling. <laughs> I have a hard time letting go. <laughs> Um, they kind of just keep it to themselves. And when they share it, they're almost always going, I didn't know the rest of you were having my same experience. Mm -hmm. They think the other leaders just came out that way or are good at it. And they're the only ones struggling. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this is creating space for leaders to know it's not easy. It never will be easy. And if we stay together and support one another, then we might get somewhere we've never been before. Hey everybody, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we're from the Just In Time Cafe. So welcome to our podcast with 5,000 downloads, Woohoo! So at the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions. We talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, I'm excited to hear about what's on the cafe menu today. Uh, today's highlight will be our interview with Cheryl Jekyll, the founder of Lean Leadership Center, and we'll be discussing her latest book, Let Go to Lead. Cheryl has a deep background in helping managers go from overpowering to empowering. And for hot apps, we're gonna delve into an app that's been referred to as your adjunct brain. It's a way to hold on to all that stuff we learn and make it easy to access. And for Q&A, we'll discuss how to make the best of an age old truism, necessity is the mother of invention. Since we know that's true, how do we conjure necessity when we wanna jumpstart innovation? And Tracy, it's the first podcast of the year. And the next time someone downloads it, it's going to be our 5,001st download since we brought this cafe back to life. Very cool. Do they get a prize? Uh, yeah. Yeah, a Joel of Lean Caffeine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Up next, it's Hot Apps. Evernote is not new, but we're giving it a little rebirth and me in particular in my ecosystem, like we've all got our own systems for capturing, remembering things. Maybe you copy a link someone sent you. Maybe you write down the name of a recommended book or you make a note of a great new causal thinking technique that you learned at the Just-in-Time Cafe. It's never ending. So there's a lot of things you want to remember, but you know, what's your system? Where's all your information? You know, do you search your emails to find stuff? Do you rely on your computer searchability to find stuff? Or is it all in the information garage um, with all these unnamed boxes and it'd be really hard to find it? So I rebooted my Evernote app on the advice from David Hyatt. If you're interested to know more about him, Google the Do Lectures. That's D-O, the Do Lectures. He is a fountain of advice on a lot of things, but his goal with using Evernote was to make it your knowledge system so you can free up the RAM in your head, right? So Tracy, what are some of your systems for remembering stuff? And this is critical, how good is it? <laughs> well, I will say that I probably have a mishmash of all kinds of things that I'm trying to remember. You know, I have Word documents. I, I actually never, used to take notes at clients, I was fully present and I could remember everything. Well, apparently that has gone with the wind like my youth. And now I can't rely on me remembering anything. So I'm finding that I actually have to take more notes. And so I actually have running documents for just one, it's one note page and I have all my notes and I just highlight the date. So that works out pretty good. I like that as a good system. Um, you know, I have a lot of memory. So, but there's, it's kind of, you know, bits and pieces. I'm finding that I'm using my phone more and more and more for lots of things. So it's sort of like, now I'm like, well, can I use it on my phone? Because if I can't use it on my phone, am I going to think about it? Because my phone is always with me, no matter where I am. I'm not always at my desk, uh, you know, when I have a great idea. So it's got to be something that I can use on my phone. And um, I guess I have to say that I'm a little resistant to trying something new um, because of that. 
Uh, so yeah, I'm all over the place. I can't say it's great. Um, I actually use the phone notes a lot. You know, there's a notes system in here and I use it and you can search it, which is great, but I can't say it's, it's really awesome. Right. It's sort of like, where did I, where did I put that again? Um, so anyway, it's not very good. How about you? So you've been using Evernote for a little while now. Is that right? Um, I have. And it's funny when you're talking, I was thinking like I had a memory like yours, right. That was, that was tight. I was like, oh yeah. Instant recall. But, but that ship is sailed. And I'm thinking I forgot the name of the ship. <laughs> like that's gone. And I remember um, like, you know, Cheryl at one point said, you know, I don't remember stuff from last year. Right. So just this whole thing of like writing things down, like you said, like I do write things down. I've got, I don't know, at this point, maybe over 50 spiral notebooks of all, you know, every day, what I'm learning, what I'm taking in from people, largely as a focusing technique, but I definitely uh, refer to it. But now you got, you know, there's notes on my phone, there's my notebook, there's my photos. Um, so I've been using Evernote for a little while now. And what's great is it allows me to, um, create these little notes where I can put the links, the books, the resources I want to remember, and I can tag them, right? So I can create my own search system and, and give it all the tags I want. And also, this is a really cool thing. Evernote gives you an email and I just forward emails into it with critical information. Like this person just gave me all this great info. I don't have to write it down. I don't have to take a screenshot of it. I don't have to cut and paste it. I just forwarded into Evernote, my little adjunct brain. So, you know, uh, you can do your quotes from an ebook, send it in. You can do online articles, web pages. You can connect it to a scanner app, screenshot app, your Kindle notes, web light, you know, web highlighter, whatever else you want to use. And the trick is to be judicious, right? <laughs> what do we want to save in our adjunct brain? I, I'm a hoarder. I can't, I, and I got to resist like, oh, I need to know. I need to know. It's like, no, you don't need to know everything. But uh, it's, you know, it's, it's so easy to grab stuff when I see it. Um, and I, and I've, it's allowed me to stop fooling myself with the idea that, you know, I'll get to that later. Like mm -hmm. later never happens, right? So anyway, uh, what did you think of the uh, pricing system? You got the free version, right? Well, yeah, it took a little while to find the free version. So I went to the app and then it's like, okay, sign up, put in your email, your password. Okay, what, which one you want? Well, wait, what, where's the free one? And I, I felt like I was getting stuck. Like I knew there was, and I actually double checked because I thought, is it, is it really free? And then I was double checking to make sure there was an actual free because it sort of looked like it was just a trial for seven days. And then it was going to start charging me, give me your credit card. And I didn't want to do that. And I just felt like the entire maze kept going to this page and I was not happy about that. So I actually like gave up thinking, okay, well, there isn't a free one. And, and then I realized, oh, okay, I found it. There is a free one. Okay. And so um, I was just annoyed. <laughs> that took made you mad, Tracy. It made you yeah. mad. Yeah. And then there's this little piece of me that, you know, I don't know. I feel like I should try to work out a system that I don't have to pay for. I mean, if it's free and I get the re free version, I will try that and see if I like it. Um, so, but you do, uh, the, the free version is, it, it does give you a lot, but it's limited. You get 50 notes in your notebook. You can create tags. You can upload photos, um, you are, but you are limited in terms of syncing. And for 130 bucks a year, you can sync with unlimited devices and it keeps 100,000 uh, megabytes of notes or 100,000, what is that, bits of notes connects with your calendar and the file size limits are a lot bigger. So that's, that sounds good, but you know, 130 bucks, you know, I, again, like to me, I'd be like, I need to figure out how to organize my stuff for free. Like mm. I can't be like relying on an app I have to pay for. I don't know that I'm having a problem with this, Elizabeth. I don't know why. Um, it's cracking me up because 130 bucks, man, I could, I, I think, I think you're thinking about shoes you could have. And if, if you get this app, you don't get to get another nice pair of shoes, the flu vogs, it might hurt, hurt your flu vog budget. So <laughs> Yeah, I confess I upgraded immediately. I want to connect to my laptop, to my phone. I want to be able to just have it seamless. Um, and you can imagine how much your phone is the conduit of the information you need, right? I mean, I've seen you do it. I mean, Tracy, yeah. I've seen you take photos when we're at conferences. I'm writing down what the speaker is saying. 
and you photograph the image they've got on the screen, I've actually got notes in my notebook that say, Tracy copied the image. Like I was ever going to go back and get that from you. So yeah, my systems, I, I, I'm, I, they're stronger than I'm letting on. I have good systems of, of saving information, but I looked at what um, this guy, David Hyatt outlined. And I went, you know what? I am going to try that. So I'm getting, I'm getting good at it and I'm going to keep rolling with it. And so I have uh, a question. You know, what? I have a question for you because I know if you keep these spiral notebooks that you you have, what did you say, 50 of them? Uh, so do you believe this will replace that notebook? Or are you right now? Never, never. <laughs> okay. But you know from me that part, one of the pieces of my book is Ink Makes You Think. And uh -huh. I believe that, and I know there's research behind it that when you are writing, something mm -hmm. different is happening, even from typing. Yeah. Um, in terms of transfer to your brain. I will never stop that because largely I'm doing it to focus. I'm focusing on a person, what they're saying. Mm -hmm. um, but there are times when I am collecting things in my notebook and I'm learning them, like say the, I did one of the do lectures, right? From, from David Hyatt. So I wrote down what he, when he was talking, what he was saying. So I would take it in at that time. Also, I was thinking I'm going to photograph those and you know, and save those, right? Because mm -hmm. I want them to be in one place and Evernote knows that's the do lecture, you know, yeah. that I did. So yeah, I'm I'm never going to stop, Tracy. I'm never going to stop. <laughs> so that'll be in addition to it, which I think we can all use a little more organization. I have to admit, um, it made me think, you know, it's the first of the year. I should probably be a little better at organizing some of my stuff, right? Um, and, uh, maybe I will change my mind about Evernote and maybe, you know, try it. We'll see the free version, at least. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Cheryl Jekyll of the Lean Leadership Center. Up next, it's Q&A. Q&A, this month we are discussing that age-old adage, necessity is the mother of invention. And what got me thinking about this was my phone telling me that it would have been the 113th birthday of my maternal grandmother last week. And I'm always reminded of her version of that saying, you make it work, right? And she was what I would call a tough Irish dumpling. <laughs> she was a lot shorter than me and getting shorter uh, by the minute, but... When I, when I texted my cousins to celebrate, every year we celebrate her, uh, and one of them reminded me um, of one of her secrets to making it work, right? So at 95, that woman lived almost to 100. At 95 with a bad back, she was still rearranging her furniture. And <laughs> my cousin told me that she, she knew she, her secret. So she said she'd empty the drawers and then she'd put face cloths under the legs of the chest or the hutch and then she'd nudge it with her hip, like kind of bump it until she got it where she wanted, right? I, I still am I'm amazed at this. I cannot tell you how tiny and how impaired she was. But, you know, she made her own clue. She made her own grand manier, but that's a whole nother story. She grew up poor during the Depression, but she never saw her life as disadvantaged. Uh, I never heard that ever. Mm -hmm. And I had to really think about it. Like, she grew up with nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to I find a way to channel her attitude to problem solvers, right? That often sort of talk about all the things, the reasons they can't get done what they want to, you know? And, and one is that catchphrase that you and I both like, creativity before cash, which may have come from my, Mike Osterling. And that seems to help. But, you know, what do you do to respond to people who complain, you know, there's not enough budget, there's not enough staff, you know, they might be, they might be right, but process improvement doesn't rely on money. Well, you know, there's a lot of, there's all, people are always throwing money. That's the first solution. Throw money at, throw people at something, throw money at something. And to me, that isn't creative. It's just throwing money and, and it's not even going to solve the problem. And I feel like sometimes process improvement, taking a process improvement approach is creative because it's saying, no, don't just throw money and people at something. That's, I mean, if you have all the money in the world, that'll solve everything but it may not be the right way and it's not the creative way to do it. And so, you know, it was so funny. I had someone, um, I had someone that was just learning process improvement and he, he basically said, well, we just, you know, he had said something to me. He, this is him referring to a conversation I had with him six months prior. 
that he was telling me. And he goes, yeah, I remember I was telling you that we had to, you know, automate it with the solution and we had to implement the software. And you said, software is not the answer. Software isn't going to be the thing that solves it. And he said, and when you said that, I thought you were freaking crazy. I thought, how can she say that? And now, now I know what you meant. <laughs> oh, yeah. made me feel good. Like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, didn't think I was crazy. But well, um, you are crazy, but not yeah. in that instance. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, we are trying to get people to be creative. Don't just throw money at it. Don't just throw solutions and people and expensive software at things because you ha you have to really you know be creative about what about the process is just creating waste. But yeah. I do have a funny story too, a family story. So, and I have this vision in my head and now I, I'm going to want to have to find the picture. And if I had it in Evernote, I would be able to find it probably really quickly, but it's not an Evernote. So <laughs> my seven-year-old son, um, one day I, um, he was in front of the TV and he was watching cartoons and he had a bathrobe on. And in the middle of the bathrobe was this piece of duct tape, right? It's just piece of duct tape. And I go, what is that on your robe? And he goes, oh, I couldn't find, I couldn't find the tie. So I just got some duct tape from the garage. Typical guy. <laughs> I took a picture because I thought, oh, that was really creative. I swear Men think duct tape is the answer to everything. So he started early. <laughs> so I have that is awesome. Closing his bathroom with the duct tape. The we need closed. that photo, Tracy. You need to find that because we got to post it, it with this podcast. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> so, so you saw, I put this story on LinkedIn because I want to know how people actively mine limitations to spark innovation. Um, and I like the phrase, Creativity action pumps. And that came from lean veteran Jim Hudson. And he described this idea of creating like tension, like stretching a rubber band. So there's just enough tension, but not too much, right? You don't want to like exhaust people. Um, and then another uh, person, a management consultant, Dawn, Dawn Armfield. And she described boxing in and creating artificial boundaries um, uh, if there are none, uh, you know, then that's a good innovation technique. She said, um, so when a team or individuals brainstorming, instead of saying, you know, the sky's the limit, you place uh, the ideas within boundaries, right? Whether they're real or imagined. Um, and for a Kaizen, this might mean, you know, we'd love to design a, and build a brand new piece of fancy test equipment, but we only have 50 bucks and two hours. What can we do with what we have on hand and our own capabilities, right? And she's been really impressed with the pokey oaks and flow solutions that the teams develop. So do you have any tricks for like imposing limitations to spark innovation? Um, not necessarily imposing limitations, but really more helping people change their perspective, right? So, I mean, and it could be really fun too. So, so you could say something like, well, what would John Wayne suggest? Ooh, that's good. Right, or what would the, the scientists from Back to the Future think? And so you're making them change their perspective and it's fun. Like they actually laugh while they're doing it, which is also an element of, you know, being jovial and not being stressed out about finding a solution. Because I, I often sometimes feel that in Demaic, by the time they get to improve, sometimes the teams are tired, right? They're like, wow, that analyze phase, that, that was, that, that took a lot out of me. And now you get to improve and you're like, everybody's supposed to be excited. And everybody's just like, want they want to take yeah. a nap. And um, so, you know, so there's, there's ways to just change people's perspective. I also do like the analogy or the anti-solution brainstorming, right? So if we're like, okay, so how do we make this, how do we make process improvement successful here? Let's brainstorm how to make it fail, right? So that's always a fun one because people then just go on a tangent about how to make it fail. And then, and then you basically have this list of failures and you go, okay, what are the countermeasures to the, all those things? Are we doing those things? And so then they're like, oh, well, that was, that was easy. <laughs> right. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so this whole conversation, just like you're saying, it renewed my attitude toward coaching for creativity. Right. And there's great research by the Harvard Business Review that without constraints, with more of the, you know, sky's the limit attitude, 
Individuals and teams tend to go the path of least resistance, kind of like you're describing, you know, they're, they're tired and they're like, well, whatever, you know, this, this will probably do it. But constraints um, provide focus. You know, if you can do that, you can create a creative challenge that motivates people to search for and connect information from different sources, create novel ideas, new products, new services, you know, business processes. And as a side note, which I just have to throw in there, Tracy, I was able to quickly access this HBR article because I had saved it and tagged it in Evernote. So there, I did a callback. <laughs> I love it. I'm Tracy O'Rourke. You're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. Elizabeth and I host these monthly. So we hope you join us every month. You can go to www.jitcafe.com. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com and go to our podcast page. You don't want to miss all the fun we're having. No. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Cheryl Jekyll. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little about Cheryl? Love to. We love Cheryl, and she is on a mission to create a movement. She is the inspirational founder of the Lean Leadership Center, and Cheryl embodies the value she encourages companies to embrace focus on people and effectively achieve your goals. By sharing her invaluable expertise on people strategies, lean manufacturing and lean leadership culture, she has contributed to the operational excellence of countless organizations around the country and making better leaders one by one. Cheryl has held strategic leadership positions covering operations and HR, human resources, and she has served as chief operating officer before returning to her love of advancing human resources to enhance workplaces. As the author of many lean books, The Lean Human Resources, Redesigning HR Processes for Culture of Continuous Improvement, Cheryl is dedicated to advancing HR and continuous improvement cultures as a recognized field. Yes, it is. Based in Chicagoland, she lives with her beloved husband and her two dogs. And we are excited and psyched to have her at the cafe. Welcome to the cafe, Cheryl, and happy new year. <laughs> hey, Cheryl, it's great to see you again. Uh, it was awesome hanging out with you at the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, otherwise known as the AME Conference, in Cleveland in October. And lucky for us, we get to sit at the same table for dinner and we got to hear awesome stories, which I will not retell here, but <laughs> we are going to pepper you for some more stories. Okay. Uh, yeah. So prepare yourself. So um, Cheryl, this is your third book and I love the title. So I'm just going to repeat it in all its glory. So let go to lead six habits for happier, more independent teams. And then in parenthesis, my favorite part with less stress, and more time for yourself. So I love this kind of run-on um, subtitle that just so uh, gets at what we what we really care about, you know, as you know, working leaders. And I want to know what, or we want to know, what inspired you to write this book. What inspired? So several years ago, probably six, I was doing some work for the state of Illinois. And um, I was actually doing more lean, continuous improvement work. And like next to me, they were building um, the first leadership development course they had ever put into the state of Illinois. So you have people who have been leading people for 30 years with no training. So anyway, they're putting that in. Sounds like a good idea. And they want to create this lean culture. And it was so bad. Um, it was just really not good. <laughs> Meaning decks, I mean, 100 pages of like eight, eight points per slide, just like death by PowerPoint. And when I asked the question, what would they be able to do? They said, they'll know what they don't know. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly training. <laughs> so somehow I got myself over there and um, I built out a training and um, we started running it and it worked. I'm telling you, nobody was more surprised than I was when it worked. <laughs> Because um, I'm used to, it never works. Training is oftentimes just a nice activity, but nothing sticks. So um, I started learning 
that was the process of really getting invested. And so if someone would have said at this stage of my career, I would have been focused on frontline supervisory training. I would have been like, what? Um, I've also been the head of HR a lot of years. I know what I don't like about all the things I ever used to have to put in. I never liked any of it particularly. Mm -hmm. Most of it's too short, too quick. So I built this program. And so the book represents all these experiences from building it and what I've learned. And um, mm -hmm. again, what was, I mean, I had the original intent, what I thought it was going to teach me, and it taught me a whole bunch of other stuff. So, so it's is this what you're, you call the core program in the book? Yes, the core leadership program. So tell us a little bit about what that entails, if you don't mind, so people can pick up the book. Yeah, so um, the core leadership program um, is a one-year program and it involves leaders working together as a community. And so that's the first thing that's different than typical approaches. It's long. And first of all, half the reason, if not more, that it works has nothing to do with the content or the trainer. It has to do with um, I think when we look at the kind of challenges leaders face to change their behavior, to let go more, which by the way, is not a natural reflex to things like let go of control. We're not designed for that. So if they want to be more coaches, they need to shift their styles. What I found partly made the difference, it's them doing it together. If over time, have you ever heard of the idea of people with a shared problem come together, they are able to hit new levels. It's not a novel, right? This is an idea we know already. Well, that works with developing coaching skills. So what I started to realize is what the work needed to do was give them space. So while I talk about the core program, I always try and make it clear, this is not something other companies couldn't do almost partly on their own. You can have your leaders spend more time, but it was also the level of vulnerability. So I realized I kept being told, well, I've known these people for 20 years, but we never talk about our issues with people. They don't sit down over lunch and go, I'm very controlling. <laughs> I really have a hard time letting go. <laughs> um, uh -huh. They kind of just keep it to themselves. And when they share it, they're almost always going, I didn't know the rest of you were having my same experience. Mm -hmm. They think the other leaders just came out that way or are good at it. And they're the only ones struggling. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is creating space for leaders to know it's not easy. It never will be easy. And if we stay together and support one another, then we might get somewhere we've never been before. How fabulous is it to be vulnerable, feeling like you're not good at something or you're trying to learn something, knowing it's not going to be easy. And then, oh, by the way, discover you have a partner in it that feels the same way. I mean, that that I believe I agree with you. I mean, we I saw that when we were doing some leader standard work development with an agency and we kind of said to people, you know, all of you are trying this. It's not going to feel very good at first. It's all new. But if you learn it together and you're focused on learning it together, you'll get through the uncomfortable stage a little quicker. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like this motivation to like stick with it because if you don't move with the group, you're going to get left behind and you'll still feel vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, Cheryl, it's this, you know, coming together to solve a problem, but there's a big leap there, which you obviously help them jump over, which is acknowledging the vulnerability uh, so that, you know, the common problems, which is, which is huge. Um, but I want to come back to just something you said, which um, is just incredibly humble that, you know, had nothing to do with the content and it had nothing to do with the with the trainer or the facilitator, but um, I want to come back to a quote I, early on. And I think it's, it might even be in your preface that I really like. You said, leaders learn what they teach, not what you tell them. So I feel like that kind of bears out what you're saying, because that hit me as really profound because I've learned a lot because I have been in the position of being to teach others. And I know how much that helps me. So how and when did you come to that realization, right? That it's not what you tell them, it's what they eventually teach. I would say the entire odyssey of this experience has continued to teach me, show me how people learn and they learn differently than I thought they did. A lot slower and it's um, learning is very active. 
And so I never realized, even if you put people in experiential exercises, they're not necessarily learning anything. They're just having an exercise, they're just doing stuff. Um, learning skills, not easy. So one of the things along the way, so even the first group that succeeded, we came back in six months and checked in on them. All the old habits were back in play. They had lost their awareness. They weren't doing some of the new stuff. And I was like, are you kidding me? Six months later, you can hardly tell it happened. So that's when we started changing the approach and, and changing it and changing it. I would say two years ago, I was like, this just still isn't working right. So we started to have transferred the training over. That's when I also started realizing having like trainers, like a train the trainer, like you four people will train and the rest, everyone else is a student. That wouldn't work. So believe it or not, I have built out a mechanism that the leaders, so like one tier goes through, when their team goes through, they're back with them for another program, but they're in the room and they teach either some stand-up training, some don't like it, a lot of them don't like it. They teach more their groups. So they do small group support, they do pre-work, they do post-work, and then they're comfortable because everything in the program mimics normal everyday work. It is everyday work, it doesn't mimic it. Uh -huh. They spend the time working on real stuff. And so um, that their current coach out of the room, I really try and make sure actively teaches the content because that's their job mm -hmm. the rest of the time. So why yeah. have trainers do it? That's so mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Why yes. have someone slip in and take that role when that's one of their roles? Mm -hmm. uh, and I started realizing, so generally I, what I have noticed, they don't really make it a go-to behavior till like round three. That's mm -hmm. a long program, not whole years. Usually there's someone in the first year before they start, but they're in the room several times before they would say that would be a more quick thing I would remember to do. Mm -hmm. And even they keep saying to me, I can't believe I forget this stuff. So I then spent the last year building out all kinds of content that goes after the program. Like I have a pull series. So, you know, in lean, we like pull, right? You, when you have the need, you pull. I had to make it so the concepts were there when they need them. They mm -hmm. don't remember a year ago. I don't remember a year ago either. So you had, to, like, if they were doing performance reviews, I had to have all the key ideas there of how to coach that right at that time. Not later, not, uh -huh. not some other time. Yeah. Um, they're working on it together. So I created that. And so my current learning is on, and then what, and then what, and then what. But now the program lives without me. I am not, I can put it in an organization with a minimal amount of my time. Mm -hmm. And start, it was, the facilitator guides are very thick. <laughs> like if you sure pick this thing up, it, was, it was designed, if I hand it to you, you can start to teach this material. Nice. So you, you talk about um, six habits that mm. will turn you into the leader you always wanted to be. And I'll just rattle them off just for a moment. Be clear, not just in your own head. Teach them to fish for solutions. Take responsibility. Stop blaming. Let go responsibly. Motivate more help less and level your team. Stop training them to look up. So which of these, if you, I mean, that's a lot. And those are, I, I think many of them are profound concepts too. Which one do you feel like you're training more of, not training, but speaking to more of where there's, where's the biggest opportunity if you had to pick one? Now it wouldn't be the one I guess it's be clear. Really? Day in and day out from the CEO to team leads, uh, from the sales department, to any, it doesn't matter the department or the person, they start to realize I'm not very clear. And I think it's because from watching it, so they'll say something like, be responsible, or I want my team to have a stronger sense of urgency. You know, they don't know what they mean. I look, my favorite is be proactive. I want my team to be more proactive. If they were more proactive, what would they be doing? I don't know. <laughs> So I realized that when we want to be able, I mean, most teams are hungry to do exactly what we ask them. We just aren't very clear, so they don't do what we want. So one of the exercises we do early on is everybody names any performance gap they've got. Where anywhere is either your team or someone not doing what you wish they were. They always they have no trouble finding this. And then when they diagnose it, 
nine out of 10 times, if not a little more, it's expectation setting. I'm not clear what I mean, and I haven't communicated clearly, and or I never confirmed if they knew what I meant. So oh, that's usually one of the other big learning is you need to confirm things. So if you yeah. have this whole thing, ask the person what they understand you want from them. Yeah. And guess what? A lot of times the message partly came through and partly didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so clearly, it's a big part of the ballgame. The, it, it, so many things are running through my head. One <laughs> is, you know, we have a mutual colleague, Karen Martin, who wrote Clarity First, right? So it's uh -huh. like, yeah, apparently that is the thing up front. The right. other thing that's striking me is um, I had a client where I swear we get we get together with, with the planning team. It was a big project, big transformation. And one of the biggest topics was, what do you think? And they named the leader. What, what do you think she wants? I think she wants this. Well, so-and-so said they had a conversation with her where she mentioned this. So it sounds like probably won't want more of this. I don't, I don't think she likes it. I mean, they guessed so often what the heck did she want? What the, you know, what did her behavior mean? It was just like, and I thought, wow, that is an incredible waste of time. Um, the other thing that struck me, uh, there was a point in your book where I laughed out loud and you quoted, you quoted leaders as saying, we believe in excellence. And, and you said to which you asked, what the hell did that mean? <laughs> it was so funny. And I, I always laugh about that stuff. And Tracy knows we laugh because it's true, right? We, we are so overloaded with jargon, you know, just like you said, you know, proactive and, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it just, jargon just doesn't mean anything, right? It, and I, I love that you push not just toward, like Tracy and I would always say, if I were doing that, what would it look like? You know, like it's behaviors. And then you also focus on specific results, like, you know, really pushing to write that down or even to the point of, you know, job descriptions, you know, schmob descriptions, like you're saying, what's your role? What's your actual role here? Like write these things out. So there's, it's almost like you're forming little mini contracts all over the place. Like these are the results I'm looking for. This is your role you know, getting into that detail. And yeah. uh, it's such a, it's such a crutch. Well, so speaking of clarity, so the other thing we talk about is how much do people remember of what they hear? What do you guys think that answer is? How much do you remember of what you hear? I'm going to guess. What, what, what did you say? I forgot what you just said. 10%. I'm kidding. Right, right, right. <laughs> I forgot what you said already. What'd you say? What were you talking what? about? Yeah. You mean today? <laughs> the last hour? Last week? Yeah. What? Yeah. So like what you're talking about is like, so then there's all this important stuff. Like they'll go in a staff meeting and go, here's all the things that I think we need to do differently and changes we need to make. And I'm like, is any of it written down? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, guess what? A lot of their brains were thinking about the oil that needs to be changed and I've got to get something on my way home. And I don't mean, they don't mean to space out, they're coming in and out of, and so like, if it matters, it needs to be written so you can hear and read. So that's how it works. So mm -hmm. how simple is this just clear communication? And, and yeah. I, this is kind of one of those adages you hear a lot, seven times or seven ways, like, you know, it's exactly. like re repeating is a good thing. And then they'll be like, well, we said it once. And I'm like, that's not enough if you need them to remember critical information. Uh -huh. Once, just a starting point. So it's been interesting. Like the other day I was working with somebody and he was like, we were talking about some specific thing he was trying to do. And I said, well, your team could do this or that. He said, well, you know what? We've tried that. I just don't have confidence that my team's capable of yeah. this. And I said, well, have you ever been really clear on the expectation of exactly what you'd like to see them do and how you'd like to see them do it and then been available to coach them through it? No. Well, then we have no idea. That's the take responsibility chapter. So the question we ask leaders is whose responsibility is it to make sure expectations have been clearly set? Leaders. Whose responsibility is it to make sure they're effectively trained? The leaders. Not whether you do the training, but that they are effectively trained. Whose responsibility is it to coach and provide feedback and recognize the right behaviors? The leaders. Now, any HR person listening to this knows that the most the HR field is devoted to this gap where this is not in place because so much of the time people are like, something's not going right with this person. And you just diagnose it's not, it's not the person. 
You're missing basic elements of, of this stuff. So this was designed to make them all their own HRP. That's lean in my mind. That's value if they can all manage this stuff themselves. Okay, so I've been on mute a little bit because apparently um, somebody's gardener did not get the memo that I was going to be doing a podcast <laughs> recording. So um, I'm sorry if there's background noise, but I I'm still curious. So you picked Let Go to Lead as the title, and one of them is Let Go. So I'm going to guess that that's probably one of the harder things that we see. And I, and, and I actually kind of thought that. I, I do get the sense that leaders don't want to seem vulnerable, they, um, it's, it's, it seemed as like a weakness, right? Uh, oh, I, you know, I can't let people know my weaknesses. And it's the funniest thing about the whole, that whole thing is people know your weaknesses as a leader. Right? <laughs> so you think, oh, I don't want anybody to know. Well, guess what? They know, trust me, they know, they just aren't going to talk to you about it because they know you don't want to show vulnerability. <laughs> but my question is, like, how do you get people to let go? That seems like that would be very difficult. I think you said it was probably very difficult to do. So what, what, what do you, how do you help people let go? Do you have yeah, like a way, way, I haven't found The vulnerability hasn't been hard. That is generally the only thing it takes to create it is usually one-on-one -on -one connections with someone you feel safe with and give them enough time to be alone and talk about this stuff. And it happens. It's like, you don't have to make that happen. It's really that we don't generally put leaders together with another leader and have them talk about people issues by themselves for a half an hour. That's what doesn't happen. And that's what I'm saying anybody could do that. So the thing about how, the, the book goes through four ways to be successful at it because this wasn't my opinion, it's what I observed seemed to make the difference. One, community. They need to really, not just during the program, they need to ongoing stay in community as a leadership group. They need to maintain an environment of like, nobody has this looked. Like every time I have people issues, I share it in the room. They think, cause I wrote this and I teach it, like I won't have issues. I'm like, that's not how it works. I get as lost and stuck as anyone else I know. So that doesn't change. Getting good at people stuff takes support. Second thing is you need to rewire what feels good to you as a leader. Most of them describe, I'm used to feeling good because I'm the better problem solver. I know more. I'm somehow more capable. That's why they made me the leader. That takes getting good feelings from developing your people and that they work independently. So you have to shift the positive sense of what you get out of leading. Practice, practice, practice. Um, I wouldn't even describe this as training. I'm like, we're in here to practice. You just got to keep practicing. And the last is be on your own side because if you're going to learn gentle, I mean, a lot of leaders, they wallop themselves. Like, I'm like I'm no good and I mishandled that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're going to learn, gentle, gentle, gentle. So. Um, yeah, well, those great. are great. Those are uh, so good. And, and, and I know you, like Tracy and I are a fan of, I think Charles Duhigg was the first on the scene with the power of habit. And just that, like you talked about, you're building habits. And it takes time to build habits and you have to have those, you know, the, uh, the trigger, the routine, the reward. And, yeah. and often you're trying to figure out, well, what is the trigger? I mean, the routine, we kind of know it's like, what, but what's that trigger? How do we start that? And then what's the reward? What keeps us coming back and doing it? Um, and one of the rewards that I feel like gets short shrift in the working world is just telling people that they're doing well. <laughs> and, you have a great quote in there that uh, just tied up so many times I've run into that where it's something along the lines of, why should I say good work for someone who's just doing their job? Like, I was like, oh God, you know, or, or people would say, oh, I told them last year. So, you know, that's pushback from giving praise, which can be a reward. Um, or even like you're saying, be gentle on yourself, give yourself some praise. Like, you know, you're, you're learning, you're doing, um, and it, there's this just issue around uh, not, you know, you have a, a praise deficit. People are not, they, they want to be acknowledged and praised, but nobody sees themselves as the one that should be doing the acknowledgement and the, and the praise. Does that, do you find that that increases as part of the core program that people get better at acknowledging themselves and those around them? 
Yeah. So one of the things is though, we also definitely move away from the thanks, good job. We call them the attaboys. Like it's just this kind of pat on the back because it, most people experience that as like, it doesn't have much sincerity in it. So it doesn't mean a lot. It's it's a Hallmark card. <laughs> so it's being, so here's the thing that takes the learning. Any behavior they want to see, you grow it this way. You're not just saying doing a good job. So like, I'm here to just pat you on the back for doing your job. They can have any of the behaviors, following standard work, being more safety conscious, whatever it is they want more of, you grow it just like you grow anything, but you praise. It's the idea that people are most influenced by positive reinforcement, not negative reinforcement. Most leaders were potentially parented, have, have lived their own lives in negative reinforcement. But if you don't hear anything, you're doing fine, and I'll let you know if you're off track. That does not grow behavior. So what we're, I always say, I want it to be Christmas for you all year round. You can have anything you want, but you're going to have to target your attention to it. So then I want them to see it. It's a tool to use. It's really valuable and you can have everything you want. But every time you have one of these initiatives, a bunch of new behaviors, you're going to want to figure out how to reinforce it. Yeah. And it's back to clarity. What do you mean by good job? Like what about it is good. So being specific about the things that are done well, and then people will realize, ah, because then I would do that. Because I think in the absence, say it again. I'm sorry. I mean, they literally write out. They have to practice writing it. Like, like pick the person, write out something specific. They don't actually at first, it's like they're not even clear how to do it. Mm -hmm. And to your point in the, sorry, Tracy, I'll just shut up. It's okay. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, in the absence of saying anything, right? If, you know, don't worry, keep doing what you're doing. If it's bad, I'll say something is that we have that negativity bias. So if you don't hear anything, then your brain is going to pluck out all the things that are, are wrong or could be wrong. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, the, yeah. The cl- that clarity really helps. Back and I'll just you. piggyback on that and say, what I've heard some leaders say is, well, I'm not good at giving that kind of feedback. As a matter of fact, it feels fake. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to be fake. Yeah. And so I've told, I've said to leaders before, I'm not asking you to be fake. <laughs> like you actually have to find something that is positive. Like this is a skill that you can't just, I mean, I don't want you to lie. Nobody's asking you to lie. Um but you know, it is it is an important skill to build and like recognizing what is something that um, is specific. And I really like that habit that you're saying, write it out, right? Because it, it helps people to notice, oh, mm-hmm. it's a positive thing. It's training their mind to notice those things. And I, I really like that act of mindfulness by writing it down. Have you heard that before? And do you have other suggestions in terms of... Uh, I kind of feel like they're saying, well, I, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not good at it anyway. So I'm not going to do it. Do you have any other suggestions that you do when, when you get sort of um, resistance to the, the, the deficit of praise? Um, I don't have any, what I would say, we do work in habit building in here. So for most leaders, they have never made an action plan, like a who, what, when around a habit. So we really practice over and over again, identifying a habit to get good at using all that same kind of ideas that you were talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's this like, how do I, so they have reminders. So for instance, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to see something on their wall that says 10 to one. That reminds them you want 10 times the number of positive reinforcement compared to corrective. Mm. And so it's just reminding me, like, you are never anywhere near enough. You're always like more, more, more. Like another thing we talk about is process um, recognition. So if you do problem solving, would you wait for a group to complete a problem solving project before you said, nicely done? No, you might give praise as they clarified their problem statement. You might give praise as they did a good job gathering data. You might give praise as the team just get a good job having a meeting. Mm. You might give praise. Like... A lot of things have a lot of sub steps that the more you recognize, the more they will repeat it on the spot. That team will hear that praise and go, do that again. Yeah, that's a great point. We are hardwired towards praise. We do not get up in the morning and decide we like it or don't like it. We're made to like it. We Uh just like good feelings. Like you create Uh good feelings, they will do anything to repeat (laughs) that feeling. I I would like more of that feeling, please. (laughs) 
more of that. More of that. Um, no reason to be selfish with it because they will go a long way. That's really their trick to creating whatever they want to have. Um, that's so great. I, I want to just, I want you to tell our folks how they can get in touch with you. But I also want to say what a pleasure it was to read this. I just found myself going, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so structured and great. And I loved your boiling into the six habits. Like that was like, yes. So um, Tracy, can we, can we do a little, one more little, hey, hey, because it was so awesome. Um, yeah, go get this because, you know, you need to let go to lead. And so Cheryl, how can people uh, find you if they wanted? So I'm on LinkedIn. My website is leanleadershipresources.com. Um, and so you are lean leadership center. <laughs> I don't even know my own website. Yeah, get that right. <laughs> leanleadershipcenter.com. <laughs> Um, also the book has access to resources. What I've been doing is trying to put more resources out there so people can pick parts of this and do some of their own practice. Um, I never meant for this to be, if you didn't take the program, you can't work on this stuff. Because... No, you're very generous, incredibly generous. The book is lovely. Yeah. So anyway, I'd love to hear from people and you can, um, if you decide you did want to do this work in your organization, it's portable. It was designed to bring it in and do it yourselves. DIY leadership. DIY, yep. baby, DIY. Um, yep. Well, thank you so much for coming to the cafe and making time, Cheryl. We are- um... I knew you two would be fun. You're very fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, take care and we'll get you back to the cafe again. Thank you. Bye. Uh... Watch out for our February podcast. When we interview Michael Vasquez and Jeff Tragesser of Life Sharing at UC San Diego Health. Elizabeth and I have both coached many green belts through projects that help improve the process of organ donation. And I love hearing about those projects, which is an inspiring story of problem solving to save lives. And we'll leave you a link to register for our February webinar, Public Relations for a Problem Solving Culture Storytelling at Work with guest host, Bethany Foy, the Continuous Improvement Leader for Ohio Mutual Insurance Group. She's got some PR techniques to engage leadership support. And stay tuned for the re-release of our book, The Problem Solvers Toolkit, coming Q1 of this year. Woohoo! I am so excited. The cover reveal is in the works. It is so looking good. And we're going to keep you posted on the relaunch. We cannot wait. Stay tuned for all the news by joining our community at the Just In Time Cafe. Thank you all for kicking off the new year with me and Tracy. You are our favorite thing about the Just In Time Cafe, and we look forward to being your lifelong learning partners. That's right. Join us in a new year every month for your jolt of lean caffeine. Mm -hmm.